and welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. All right, we're going to, we'll start with Kay, because I, I did a little peeping Tom at the question, the first question that she had. And if you'd, if during the course of this, if you'd, if something hits you and you want to uh, come over to the the seats. You're welcome to do that. But she had a she's got a question here that was yeah that's it that was initiated by the fun stuff that we had at the best grace group at Beloved Church, which is just happens to be in Pearl City. Right. Who booed? going to excommunicate you. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Uh, so I'm going to, we're going to start with Kay on Q&A with Stephen Kay. Hooray. 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 I forgot to write my rap. You better go. <laughs> I'm about to rap. This question did uh, stem from our grace group on Wednesday night. Uh, we have been having a great time. Yeah. Wow. Uh, we've been having a... There I am. Nobody's ever said, hey, we can't hear Steve. <laughs> Just let him talk. <laughs> they will interrupt you. So anyway, whoa, whoa, we can't hear you. Okay, back to the question. Okay. We just have been having a really great time in our grace group because we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. Uh, and one of the verses is Mark 16, 17. And uh, so one of the questions, we go through about one question a week. And it's awesome. It is awesome. Because we have an amazing grace group, and they share the revelation that God has dropped into their heart with the rest of our group. And the questions that have been coming from this lesson have been awesome. Yeah, for real. So we've just been taking our time. We're, we're, this isn't a race to get to the end of the book in our grace group. It's, I think the, the goal is to take as long as we can to go through the book <laughs> so we can get as much revelation as we can from the lessons. Uh, so the question was, can you share with us your revelation of newness you shared at Grace Group. Uh, in Mark 16, 17, it says, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. And I started looking at that word. Uh, well, I looked at the word new tongues when we were studying this question. And I'm just like, huh, I wonder what that word new means. Because I've said this I don't know how many times that what we think a word means is not what God says a word means. With the context of scriptures and his definition of things, sometimes we, we misinterpret a scripture because we think we know what these words mean. And you think something as simple as new, I know what new means. You know, it's like when you get a new car. It's 
just some, I said, new car I've never driven before, I've never used before. And when I looked into this word new, uh, it did not mean what I thought it meant or what I would have defined it as. And um, it actually means um, that it's new in quality, it's fresh in development or opportunity because it is not found exactly like this before. Not found exactly like this before. Uh, the other really good definition that I found that I just lost. That all things are new, previously non-existent, begin to be far different from what they were before. Which is not my definition of new. And it just made me think about all the times in scriptures that that word new is used. How many things did Jesus give us that never existed before that are ours, our new covenant? Never existed before. This uh, new creature, new creation, new creature. We have never existed before. Amen. And sometimes we, we look at this thing, and we, or we don't really... What's the word I'm looking for? We go through the word, and we just see these small little words, these simple little words like new, and we just kind of gloss by them. Like, I know, what, I know what new means. And then the Holy Spirit pokes at you, like, no, you don't. Look at the word. And then you get this amazing God perspective on how he has defined these things. That they are, and this, my favorite part of my, this definition is to be far different from what they were before. Far different. Like, it's just a great example of how separated we are from the world and the world systems. And how God has brought all these things into our lives, these new things that have never existed before. And they are so far different from anything this world has ever experienced before. And that we need to have that revelation and understanding when we look at the things that God says are new, that he has given us, that have never existed before, that are far beyond the world's way, like to really let that soak in when we're in the word and we see the word New Testament, we see the words New Covenant, we see the words New Creation, that we understand how far removed it is from the world and it looks nothing like that. And to let the Father reveal to us that new thing that he's done in us. Yeah, we were all very encouraged and engaged with what Kay was sharing on Wednesday night because I, I know I was and, and likely a bunch of other folks in the room were looking at, and you've heard me say this before, you, you don't have your life like 2.0. This isn't 2.0 version of Steve. You know, God fixed me. You, 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 there was no fixing any of us. The, the greatest mechanic engineer in the universe, God himself realized that you were too far gone. And so the only solution was to kill you. And because of his love and his grace, he didn't kill you, he killed himself so that 
your death would be accomplished so that his life could be our life. And I don't think we realize that real authentic Christianity isn't just like switching over and now you're moral. You drink less. You have less bad thoughts. That is, you can get that in the world. In fact, you can get that with tons of other religions. Uh, Hindu and, and Middle Eastern mysticism. A lot of that stuff is about controlling emotions and controlling your body. You can get a ton better self-manicured versions of, of life. That isn't what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to give you just a better way of thinking or a better way of living or what. He had to completely destroy everything and give you something that never existed before. And so if you're in that self-made version of Christianity, which is just self-help, that you could get from any old book on the shelf. That's not what the Lord wants. I, I'm, I'm okay if that's where you're at. You know, God bless you. We love you. Keep coming. But that's, that's not what the Lord died for. He didn't die so you could have some great self-help. Self was the reason you're in the misery that you're in. Self ain't going to get you out. Christ in you. The hope of glory is our only option. And a lot of us think, like, I'll just bring the Christ part, like, when it's so terrible that I have no other option. Until then, I'll do my self thing. I'll self-disciple, self-change uh, self my thoughts, self there, there, There's no benefit to self. Self has to be destroyed. And Christ has to be glorified. It, it really resonates with me when people say to me, well, this is just what my personality is like. Which is the cool, hip, 2022 20, version of saying, this is how I made me. And there's only so much I'm willing to change because this is my personality. And I, I'm always like, well, you know, the person of Christ moved in and you are supposed to have his personality. And, and he's not a type A. He's not a jerk when he gets hangry. He's not, you, know, you don't get to say, well, this is just how I am. Because if Christ ain't that way, then the real you ain't that way. Amen. I will say, Jesus was a funny guy, so that is my personality. That was, thank you. Jen's just thinking about my weathered buck joke. Oh, you just opened the door. Everybody's going to ask about that now. You're not allowed to ask about weathered bucks. Shh. All right. <laughs> Kay's making fun of my, my doctorate degree. Uh, all right, so... That's, what I, that's how I interpreted it. The next question is baptism. Why would you need to be water baptized more than one time? 
I thought it was once and done. As the reason was to make a physical demonstration that you wanted to get rid of the old man and put on the new man after being born again. Where in scripture does it talk about baptism as a time to put under something in your life that you want to be done with or have dealt with? Why would someone feel the need to be baptized every time they join or regularly attend a different church? Uh, that's a, there's a lot to kind of unpack on this. So I'll, I'm just going to generally talk about baptism, and hopefully some of these questions will kind of dissipate during a little bit of understanding the doctrine of baptism. So the doctrine of water baptism, because there's many baptisms, plural, and a lot of people don't even know that, that's in Hebrews chapter 5. It tells us that there are many baptisms. I'm not going to go there. But water baptism is an outward expression of an inward change or reality. A lot of the, the doctrine of baptism as a whole is in Romans chapter 6. And so... I'll go there. We'll read a couple verses. And then, and I'll probably do this in the ESV so you guys are okay. Need a bigger table. All right. So Romans chapter 6 in the ESV says, What shall we say then? This is verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we... To continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Just so you know, that's as, that's as strong a language as you can get in the Greek without cussing. And I, I'm not being funny. It's, it's literally borderline cussing. That's how adamant Paul was about us not embracing some kind of sinful lifestyle. And remember, sin is missing the mark. It means to miss the mark. And also remember that sin is normally used as a noun, not a verb. And I don't have time to get into all that. I've, I've said it a lot in the past. But smoking ain't a Bible sin. First off, you do know there weren't no cigarettes 2,000 years ago. <laughs> So that's what we would say. You're quit smoking, you sinner. That's that is not biblical. That would be you personal. Or societal for the most part. You know, Jesus changed water into wine. And the Pentecostals have been trying to change it back ever since. <laughs> he didn't really mean wine, it was really grape juice. I, I've heard all the sermons from all the guys. I'm like, no, it was wine. They got happy on it because they said, "Woo, this stuff is good. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> the first person to thank Jesus for a glass of wine was the wine that Jesus made. Woo, Jesus. This is awesome. Sin is missing the mark. So 
It is, this is why it's so important for us to have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit because what the Lord has for the mark of my life may not be what the Lord has for the mark of your life. That's why when you get into the like, don't do this and do this and this is a sin and this ain't a sin, you're going you're gonna to get into legalism in a hurry because what is what the Lord, what Kay's father says to her is not what my father says to me. Because we're in different places and he's going to help us navigate things differently. Smoking a cigarette is a verb. It's a fruit. The root is why you need a cigarette. Amen. And we are way too engaged with the fruit. You can, you can walk up to an apple tree and you can tear every apple off that tree and you can cuss it out and you can kick it and you can spit on it and you can curse it. And next year it's making apples. And that is the regular Christian life. They get mad about all the apples on their tree. And so they kick the tree. They get mad at the tree. They come to the pastor to talk about the tree. We deal with all the fruit on the tree. Right? Hide your cigarettes. Don't buy no more. You're not even allowed to have a debit card because you can't be trusted to go. It's what you've heard me say. It's a dry drunk. You can get all the liquor out of an alcoholic's house and they're still an alcoholic. They're just dry. And most Christians are dry drunks. You got to get to the root of it. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? The, re the way that Jesus deals with the root is he sends grace. Where sin does abound, grace does much more abound, is what it says in Romans chapter 5, right before this. I think it's verse 23. So when the Lord sees that there's something that's misaligned in your root system, what he does is not send a a spanking spoon and an angel with a sword. What he sends is grace. Grace is divine empowerment to live a divine life. That's my personal definition. Divine empowerment to live a divine life. So the Lord will deal with you about things that are about fruits on your tree and about roots on your tree. But the way that he's going to deal with you is to raise you up into his divine standard. The difference between condemnation and conviction is condemnation calls you your sin. Conviction calls you righteous. Why are you sinning? Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is from Satan. By no means. How can... We who died to sin still live in it. That is a great question. That is an awesome, awesome question. I, this, in, in, in massaged, gentle ways, I ask this question a lot to people. If you're saved from that, how are you living in that? Nobody really has a good answer. Just like Paul, he just like, Ask the question and nobody answers him. 
Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, so this is a version of baptized, this is not necessarily water baptism, been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Now, there's a couple of truths about baptism that everyone needs to understand. So one of the first things is that the way that you, I want you to picture for a second someone being water baptized. So when a person is baptized, they're taken backwards. Now this is important. The reason that you have to go backwards in water baptism is because you cannot do it yourself. You do not have the muscles to take yourself backwards and bring yourself back up. You have got to rely on humble yourself and submit to whoever is baptizing you. That is so important. Secondly, the word baptism comes from a Greek word, which just means to submerge, emerge, or fully saturate. So that's why sprinkling or something like that, I'm not saying that those people are damned and going to hell or anything like that, but I'm just saying that's not actual baptism to be sprinkled because the word means emerge, submerge, fully saturated. You can't be fully saturated by being sprinkled. And the reason that it's important is because every part of you needs to get wet. Because anything that stays dry stays old. And it's supposed to all be new. And so you want to take whatever that thing is in your life, you want to completely submerge it and immerse it in whatever it is. You can, you can be baptized into Christ. You can be baptized into, into the church. That is a total legitimate biblical doctrine. You can be baptized in water. You can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of different ways to be baptized. So you can also be baptized into a revelation. So... What this question is, why would someone ever need to be baptized twice? I hope that you are continuously immersing and submerging your life in different areas, in different aspects of Christianity. Authentic Christianity. Biblical Christianity. Don't think that just because you got wet once, that you're wet now. Some of you folks are dry as... Never mind. Popcorn? <laughs> oh, I just ripped my coat. Stop it. Uh, now I'm off track with Bob's mating noises. Uh, get back in the spirit. Right, dry. So, you... You can be water baptized multiple times because it's just an outward expression of an inward reality. Now, the main form of baptism is you were an old man of where Satan was your father. And then the Lord took you into the grave. He killed you by killing himself. And then you, through baptism, agree with his death 
and you go into the tomb with him. We were crucified, Galatians 2.20, or crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so you, you need to recognize that you went into his death. Otherwise, there's no way for you to come into his life. If you didn't die his death, you don't get his resurrection. And this is where a lot of folks really don't have the powerful version of Christianity that you were intended to have because you don't really agree with the death parts. A lot of people come to Christianity and are like, I'm not that bad. I'm not one of those super terrible people. I just need a, you know, I just need a little paint on my barn. No, you, we need to burn your barn down. I don't care how pretty your barn is. I don't care how awesome you think it is. I don't care what your mama says about you. Your barn needs to be burned to the ground and Jesus is going to give you a new barn with a steel roof. I'm off again. So if there's areas in your life that resurface, if the dead man wants to come back and try to take control, that is not abnormal. You're not a broken version of Christian. That's, that's part of the Christian walk where the old man is so quick to be the resurrected man and the new man, which is actually resurrected, we don't give him a lot of control. The next chapter after Romans 6 right here is Romans 7. Can I get agreement that 7 comes after 6? <laughs> It'd be the most unity we'll have all day. Romans 7 is basically Paul wrestling with these realities. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. He literally says that. Well, why would he say that? Is he wretched or is he a new creation in Christ Jesus? You know, he's the one that wrote that. He is a new creation in Christ Jesus, but he, what he was showing us was that wrestling aspect of the new being allowed to rule over the old. And so you might get into places in your life where you've, I hate to use these terms because they're just religious terms. They're, they're not biblically used, but I know that they're going to connect with a lot of people. But if you've, if you've ever like backslidden or found yourself somewhere way back beyond where you should be. One time you were on a spiritual high and now you're spiritual low or you're in a valley instead of being on a... I hate all that terminology because it's not really good biblical theology, but people connect with it. I, I called my time, I was in a spiritual coma for about four years. And that's when things got stupid and I violated... Uh, I violated our covenant with Kay. I violated my covenant with God. I was chasing the world's version of success, and I was in a spiritual coma. Backslid, valley, whatever you got, I was there. It was terrible. It was wretched, and I was rescued. And whether whether the expression that I needed to have after coming out of that was going into a pool and being water baptized and letting the whole world know that Steve is no longer in a coma or whether it was me, which is what actually happened, whether it was me throwing myself on my knees, prostrate before my wife and my God and begging them for grace and mercy. Whatever it is, you need to do it. 
I would say that baptism in water is really effective because it's public. And so everybody gets to look at you and say, mm, maybe they weren't such a great Christian yesterday. Well, now they're getting wet. They're publicly confessing something that the Lord has already dealt with them internally. It's an external expression of an internal reality. How can we who died to sin still live there? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The walk, your lifestyle, the way you live your life can only be done after you come out. You can't walk under the water. You got to come out. So again, remember in the picture of baptism, you need someone to take you down into the water because your body don't bend that way naturally. You also need someone to bring you out. Important components to baptism is there needs to be a baptizee, that's you, or some area of your life. There needs to be a baptizor, that is the person that is doing the baptizing. And there needs to be a medium, be it the water, the Holy Spirit, into Christ, into the universal church. Each of them are different things. In water baptism, you're going to have a, a person, a human. At, at, we're doing it, is it this month? When are we doing it? Is it this month? A couple, a couple weeks. We're having a baptism service. And so you're going to have likely like me and Bob. Me and Bob are going to be the baptizers. We're going to help you go down and we are going to bring you up. Well, some of you. Some of you we're just going to leave down until, until the bubbles stop. <clears throat> when you are baptized into Christ, that is you submitting to the Father. The Father takes you into Christ and brings you out a son. I know all the gals are like, no, my daughter. No, your son. Huios. It's a Greek word. It's not a gender term. You're a son. You come out a son. The father does it. He takes you as a son of Satan. He immerses you into Christ and you come out a new creation, a son of God. When you're baptized into the Holy Spirit, that would be Jesus immersing you, taking you backwards. You can't do it. Jesus immerses you in the Holy Spirit and specifically immerses your soul. This is why people struggle with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because your intellect is involved. People don't struggle with water baptism because it makes total sense. I was a jerk and now I want to be a good person, so put me in the water and I come out magical. Being baptized into Christ, you don't even know you're doing it. Most of you just prayed some prayer because a preacher said, raise your hand if you want to be born again or have Jesus as your Lord. And so you don't really realize exactly what's going on. You don't, you don't have a picture of the Father literally immersing you into Christ and you come now. And so you just, it's cool. But being baptized in the Holy Spirit has 100% to do with your intellect. This is why people reject it 
They struggle with it. They fight with it. They don't want to do it because it's weird doing the tongue stuff. Yeah, it's, it's totally normal to go into a pool and have a couple of preachers dunk you into water and call you something new. That's totally acceptable. But having a language from heaven, that is way outside of the realm of reality. It's because your intellect is involved. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is your soul being baptized by Jesus himself into his spirit. When you come out, there's this new way of living from your soul. You have soul control. The fruit, one of the, one of the manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit, those of you that know the fruit of the Spirit, is self-control. You know you don't have control over self without the Spirit? So people who are not baptized in the Holy Spirit super struggle with controlling their souls. They're very dramatic. Their emotions are wheels off. They fly off the handle. Da, 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 because they do not have the fruit of self-control from the spirit. So all they got is trying to control self with their own soul. Your soul is self. Self doesn't control self very well. So if you are, <clears throat> you should be being filled with the spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 or 3. Read all of Ephesians. It's great. <laughs> in Ephesians, it says, Be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is, in the Greek, it's, it's indicative active in the verb tense, which means that it, is, it's happen, it should be happening regularly. You should always have the flowing of the Spirit continuously reimmersing your life, your your, your soul, your emotions. Has anybody ever had their emotions go off track on one day and you get it back on? Okay, that, you're refreshing, re-renewing that being <clears throat> baptized again, so to say, by the Spirit of God. And so you can do that in water. You can re-immerse yourself into the church. A lot of people quit the church and they get out because they've been church hurt or some preacher was mean to them in their opinion. I would argue with them. Uh, most of the people that have a problem staying in a church, they have a problem staying in anything. Amen. They've been divorced seven times and they've been through five churches and they think the problem is the preacher and all the women. Uh, I got news for you. The common denominator is you can't commit. That, that our generation today with, with people shacking up to, together, the reason that shacking up has become uh, popular is because people can't commit anymore. Covenant is not something that people do anymore. Divorce is an option. And shacking up is an option. So as long as we've got other options, we don't have to do the commitment thing. Committing to a church, committing to a, a, a spouse for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life. That's why they call it the ball and chain or the shackles or the whatever. I'm like, man, thank God I've got this figured out. I don't have to do this again. You, I got to tell you, you, I would rather have you shoot me in the leg than have to go out there and date in this world. And for all you single people, you got grace. I just don't have that grace. I look at what's going on out there. I'm like, man, I'd move to a mountain and live by myself with Jesus. These gals today, woo. And then you don't even know if they're a gal. Never mind. Never mind. I repent.
All right, so you don't need to be baptized more than once, but you can. You definitely don't need to be baptized when you go from church to church. First off, stop it. Don't do that. It's not okay. Uh, I understand if you're in a, a church that is very not spiritual and you really want to get into deep things of God and come to a church like, I don't know, beloved. I, I get that, but there's nothing better than this. <laughs> that went better than I thought. <laughs> you, you can't leave here and go to the even more spiritual church unless you die. <laughs> like I, I heard there's a congregation up there that's pretty awesome. But until you go there, this is the best you're going to get. Sorry. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to do that. There, denominations believe that you're baptized into a denomination. In fact, I don't, I don't want to call them out, but Craig and Tab, we had, uh, where, oh, there's Craig. Uh, we, I'm not going to call, I'm not going to say it, but the, there was a really awkward thing that they had a part of their life where something similar to this was happening, where they were kind of being baptized into somebody else's opinion as to how their life should be. Don't you dare. If it ain't from, if it ain't from God, if it ain't from Christ, then don't, don't let someone try to push you into their junk. You don't get baptized into a denomination. There's no such thing. A certain kind of church, a certain kind of philosophy. You, you get baptized by the things of God or you don't. So you don't need to like die to one denomination and get baptized into another. Or if a denomination tells you that you have to be baptized into their denomination for you to have, I don't know, life or salvation or whatever, that is doctrines of devils. And don't you dare let someone put you into some kind of funky condemnation with that crap. I probably shouldn't say that word. Stuff. Uh, better than... I haven't used the other word in 26 years. Uh, and so it can be once and done. That's it, up to you. You, you, could, you could do like a water baptism or you could do a baptize into Christ. Or you, can, you can own it. You can get it, get wet. Remember, Jesus said that if you're thirsty, if you come to him and you drink, you'll never be thirsty again. So you don't have to dry out. I've heard, I've heard people, I've heard preachers preach on you're a leaky vessel. You got cracks and holes. And so God leaks out of you. I know Bob uses this, but he uses it the right way where we're leaking Jesus in a positive way because you're, you're so full, it's like busting out of you. But there, I've actually heard preachers say like, you're a leaky vessel. So once you, you know, you wake up in the morning, you do devotionals and you get full. But by the end of the day, oh my Lord, you're on empty, dragging yourself into the house. That is not, man, I'll tell you what, most preachers versions of the Holy Spirit and the things of God, they are so fragile. They are so porcelain that we wonder why our society is so jacked up because even Christianity can't get it right. The Holy Spirit in you, Jesus said, is like rivers plural, not a river, rivers, plural, of living water coming out of you. If you leak out that much, you're in a special kind of brokenness. I don't know. How do you, 
rivers of living water. And so you don't need to be rebaptized, reimmersed, or whatever in anything after it happens, unless you do. And I've seen both ways. I've seen it where it's been one and done and people have like, that's it. I'm trucking for Jesus rest of my life. Great. God bless you. But I've also seen people like, oh, my Lord, immerse me. In fact, when you bring me up, just do it again one more time to make sure it sticks. Like, okay. I mean, whatever you need. I mean, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you whatever you need. If you make these things into doctrines or, or legalism or whatever, that's what you're going to get. But if you leave your heart and your life open to what God wants to do, that's what you're going to get. Amen. Amen. Uh, where in scriptures talk about baptism? Read Romans 6. It's a great dissertation by Paul on baptism, specifically the baptism into death. And... Why would someone feel the need to be baptized every time they join or regularly attend a different church? Because preachers. God bless them, and I can talk bad about them because I is one. But if, if the Bible was as jacked up as most preachers' doctrines, okay, I'm just going to stop, okay? <laughs> that was a good segue. Uh, the only thing that I, uh, I guess, want to add or... Uh, talk about a little bit is um, the same thing. Uh, I was I don't like it when I say um, sorry. That I was talking about earlier about God's definition of things and how sometimes we're we're in the Word, we're reading the scriptures, and every time we see the word baptized, we're just thinking water baptism. Okay, we're getting dunked in water, and so you don't ever stop to think what. What God says baptism is and how it is not this natural physical, it's not just this natural physical thing of being immersed in water and being brought back up again. That there is a, there is something taking place in the spirit. The word uh, baptism in the Greek, Greek is baptisma. And that suffix, the ma part, uh, is actually emphasized that it's a, you're being baptized as a result of sincere repentance. So it's a heart thing. It's something that happens in your heart where you're sincerely repenting from your way of thinking, and you're like, God, I, w I want your way of thinking. I want, I want to understand that I have sinned and I need a savior, so I'm gonna repent. I'm gonna change my way of thinking to your way of thinking. And it's such a... Um, impactful thing in my heart, in my life, that I, I want to have this outward show, like I can't contain my change. Man, these words that are right there on the tip of my tongue today, that, that are going to come out in Jesus' name. That is so overwhelming that you have to have an outward show of this amazing thing that is going on in your heart and your thinking process. That God has done something so amazing in your life that he has shown you a better way to live, shown you a relationship with the Savior, that you just, have, you just want to outwardly show this. We do this all the time. We do this in worship. That we, there's just this overwhelming need in our, in our um, heart that we have to outwardly show our submission and our worship to our Father by raising our hands, by getting down on our knees. And baptism is just another way that we are 
showing that there's a sincere repentance in our lives and we can't help but have this outward show of it. And so when, you, when you're in scripture and you're seeing that word baptize, it's just another way that you are, you are submerging yourself into this lifestyle of repentance. Um, in 1 Peter 3, uh, verse 20 and 21, it kind of starts into the middle of a thought, but I'm actually more focused on the rest of it. Um, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, just another way of showing us how this natural thing is actually a type and shadow of something else. That even baptism doesn't also now save us, but it's not about the, the flesh. It's about that good conscience, that good um, revelation of God because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that's just my encouragement this morning that we look at these things through God's filter of what, what it means beyond the natural, physical representation that he's give, given us. And praise God for those things. Praise God he's given us these physical, natural things that we can use as reminders of these spiritual truths in our lives. The same thing with uh, when we take communion. It's not about this physical piece of, of bread or cracker. It's not about this physical piece of, of grape juice. But it's a spiritual truth that we get the opportunity to remind ourselves as much, and many times as we want, we can remind ourselves, you know. And so it's the same thing with water baptism. We can remind ourselves as many times as we want of the amazing things that God has done in our lives and this lifestyle of repentance that we want to have. And we can have this outward show. This actually brings up a, a really important aspect of baptism is that it stands as a marker. You can remember likely when you had a baptism moment. It marks your conscience. That was the day I gave my heart to Jesus. That was the day I was immersed into the Father and I became a new creation. June 10 or July 10th, 2022. You can, re it's a marker. And so when the devil comes and says, you're not saved, whoa, whoa, whoa. On July 10th, 2022, I was immersed into the Father and came out a new creation. On such a day, I was immersed into water and I came out as a representation of me being a new creation. On such and such a day, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and I have new tongues. And so you can't, you can't tell me that I'm going to lose, Satan. You can't tell me that I'm not born again because watch this. I didn't have that before. It stands as a marker and you can use it <clears throat> in the Old Testament. They would build altars. Like this amazing thing happened in this place. And these are one of the New Testament versions of building an altar. On this day I was water baptized. On this day I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. On this day this is what happened. Another thing that Kate said that uh, I wanted to uh, highlight was that 
religion is always trying to de-radicalize things that God wants to be radical. Religion tells you not to have explosive praise or worship. Religion will tell you not to raise your hands. Religion will tell you not to dance when you are praising God. Religion will tell you not to be prostrate on your face before the Lord. Religion tells you that you're just supposed to be composed and everything's supposed to be perfect and holy or, or perfect and pious. That Religion says that, not God. Jesus had incredible experiences with God. I'll guarantee you when he was walking across, cutting that storm in half as he was walking across the water, he didn't have some solemn look on his face like, oh, watch me cut the waves. I will guarantee he was like, yeah, baby, me and my father. Amen. And when people were getting healed, I'm sure it just wasn't like, be warmed and filled, you are healed. Wonderful. Next. That, I mean, they were having a great time doing the kingdom. <laughs> Same thing with his anger. He didn't go into the church when they were acting a fool in the church in, in John chapter 2 <clears throat> and then later on in Luke. He didn't go in there and say, now I have a whip and so I'm going to do this just because the Bible says that I have a zealousness for the house of God and so take that and, and, and you take that. He was mad, y'all. Mad. How dare you do my father's house this way? You know how they've been doing the father's house in today's world? Jesus was so the church building was so important to Jesus that he made a whip and made it right. And now a majority of American Christianity says we don't even need a building no more. I can do this with YouTube at home. I read my Bible. I don't need no fellowship in the saints. Now, I'll guarantee you, if Jesus was here today, he'd be going to some people's houses with a whip. Maybe that's what I should do. <laughs> Sounds like a good church growth structure, right? Just going to people's house. Who in here doesn't go to church? It's your rusty butt down to the church. Uh... All right, so anyway, God, the God's version of, of relationship with him is radical. It's radical. I am head over heels, madly in love with Kate. Unashamedly, unabashedly, if you, if you don't believe me, come up while I'm near and try to do something hurtful or harmful to her. And you'll find out. That, that's radical. That's not okay in today's world. In today's world, just shoo your kids off to public school and let them abuse and groom your kids and that's just how things happen. That, that's not love. And it's the same thing with the father. The father dances and sings over you. It says in, uh, I think it's Zechariah chapter four, verse eight or eight, four. It says that he twirls and sings and dances over you. Thank God that he doesn't act in his worship and his love towards you the way you act towards him. Amen. And I'm not trying to get on your case if you're not that kind of a person. But I would just ask you why. Why isn't it exciting to be forgiven? Why doesn't it make you cry to know how much you're loved? 
Why doesn't it radicalize your life to know that God died for you? God, God died for you. Amen. Just got quiet. Maybe we need to move on. You want to add anything to that? All right. The next one is, with all, with all the teaching of the importance of discipleship, can you explain the stages of it? I know there is initial time needed in our culture and teachings through attending church and grace groups consistently, but how do we know when we are ready for one-on-one -on -one discipleship and with who? Attending church and grace group is discipling too, isn't it? Uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on in here. So obviously we do have a, a really passionate culture towards discipleship. And it's a very unique thing in Christianity. There, it, most churches, I guess, are totally cool if you come once or twice a month as long as you send your tithe check. We're, I don't give a rip about your tithe. Well, I, I guess I better. <laughs> you need to be careful what I say. Me, personally, I don't give a rip about your tithe check other than it will express your, your heart. And I really don't, I'm not even a big fan of the tithe. If you're only given 10% to God, you uh, need to change. Unborn again people in Judaism gave 33%. People who were not forgiven by God, who had no radical encounter with the love of God, gave 33% by legalism. So if you're in Christianity and you're struggling to get to 10%, it ain't about the money. You ain't met Jesus. You meet Jesus, he gets it all. Uh, I'm, I'm always looking for ways to give away stuff. In fact, I, I, I have cash every once in a while. Just some random stuff will come into my life. And cash, to me, like that's mine. Right? It's not, it's not the, the checking account that Kay and I share and she's in charge of the finances in our home. And so I submit completely to her leadership in the finances at her home. And so most of the time, if I want to do something, I ask her or get involved. But when I got cash, yeah, baby, do whatever I want. I got $500 and I want to buy a gun. Then, and Illinois lets me. Stupid. Never mind. Uh, I can do whatever I want to with my cash. I can buy a six-pack of Diet Dr. Pepper and drink them all in one setting, and Kay will never know. <laughs> would never do that. I'd never do it. It's <laughs> a headache from hell right there. <laughs> but cash is mine. And I can tell you 
probably, it's been years since I, somebody's given me cash or blessed me with something that it doesn't legitimately turn into me giving somebody some money for something or buying something secretly for people they don't even know it. My cash is just another expression of the way that I can give away money to people's lives. Our finance, we, we give way more than 30% of our, and to be fair, I mean, we're about to have an open board meeting. I make 600 bucks or 620 or I don't know. What, I don't even know. She knows. I make 600 bucks a week or whatever. And our income is, our giving is way over 30%. So don't sit there and act, well, if I made more money, I'd give more. No, you give based upon your heart. If your heart ain't for Jesus, you don't give. And I know you're going to say, I can't. What in the Christ, what is it in the authentic Christian life can you do in your own strength? If there's something you can do in your own strength, then that part just isn't into Christianity yet. Because it should be able to be done by Christ. Mom, go talk to mom. If, you, if you're struggling with giving, because when, our, when mom and dad got divorced and we moved into Forreston, I was 13 years old, and mom had three boys to take care of by herself and made minimum wage at the doctor's office. And God said, hey, you should tithe. And she said, okay. And her testimony is that she has never struggled for money since she made that decision. Minimum wage, raising three boys by herself after a divorce. It, it's not about the money. It's about you having to have that control and you just won't do it. The, so the reason I'm bringing this up is because discipleship, just like in every area of your life, there's a lot of different places that go through stages. And going to church is a form of discipleship. Disciple is the, comes from the root word discipline. And so going to church is a discipline. You know how many people ain't? Yeah. Look, people are staying away from beloved church by the thousands or me, or both. <laughs> we just had, I don't, I don't know if I want to say this publicly, but not that long ago, we had somebody come in and after about the second song, they were like, I'm in the wrong place. And they, they hit the door running. I get it. People aren't okay with doing the church thing. That is a form of discipline and it's a great start. If you're not going to church, go to church. You YouTube people out there, because all these people are good people. You get your butt to church. And, and church ain't your couch. I don't care what the preacher says. It's the, it's the gathering together of the saints to get, to, on purpose to congregate. You cannot congregate on your couch by yourself. So that is a form of discipline. But it's a form of discipline. There were people that visited Jesus' meetings. The Bible specifically calls them the difference between the crowds, the followers, and the disciples. The crowd got incredible stuff from the Lord. And, and if you're not in the crowd, get in the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a form of disciplining your life. But then there were some in the crowd that went into following where it was like they just didn't come visit the meeting. They just didn't do the convention, you know, once uh, every six months. 
They actually said, you know what, I'm going to make this part of the regular, regularity of my life. And so they became followers. But the followers didn't see a lot of the really super cool stuff and have the really intimate relationship with the Lord that the disciples had. And then even in discipleship, there was the 70, there was the 12, there was the three. And so there, there's always an ability, there's, the Lord makes it possible for you to always get deeper and deeper. You will never go, get over deep than what the Lord wants you to get. And one of the things about discipleship, specifically in our culture, is you're probably not ready to disciple if you're questioning the discipleship. <laughs> because that's, that would be like Peter going to Jesus, say, all right, Jesus, let me tell you how discipleship should work. <laughs> Could you imagine the Lord saying, oh, well, I'll take notes. The, the, the purpose of discipleship is literally to trust the people that God has put you with to take you through that process. And where you got to go? This, this is... How do I say this? If I put like intense pressure on Kay and I getting more intimate, it will literally cause the exact opposite. You realize that? Love me. Love me more. Give me things. Give me your affection. Don't you love me? Say you love me. Say you love me. It, people do the Lord or the church that way. I, I real, Kay and I realize we're going to be together for the rest, literally, of eternity. It'll change when we cross over, but we're going to be a part of each other's eternity. I'm not going to put any pressure on whatever conversation we're going to have. We're going to go for a walk tomorrow morning. We're going to walk for an hour and a half, and we're going to talk about whatever comes up or whatever don't. And just like me and Bob say this all the time, when every time we talk, we, never, we have yet to finish a conversation in six years. We just pause. Up, ah, got another call. Up, ah, got to do the thing. Up, ah, pause. And you just hit the pause button, you pick it back up. Decide, if you, real true discipleship is forever. And so in whatever area you're in, you're in. Do it well. Be, be a good steward of where you're at, but realize that there's more. And it should be organic. You should be, you should allow your heart and your life to be brought into deeper levels. And if you're not trying to get deeper, I would ask you why. Why are you satisfied with the version that you have? Because if, if you ain't floating from cloud to cloud with Jesus and angels follow you around and blow shofars everywhere you go, then you probably got some greater places you can get to. Not believe that's all you're going to say about discipleship. I have a lot to say, but I want to give you time. I was going to let you rip it because this is like passion in your heart. So I really figured you'd cover everything on this card. Everything. Seriously. Or try to, anyway. Real quick. Real quick. Well, I think you uh, need to answer the question um, about when we are ready for one on one discipleship and with who. Uh, 
being ready for one-on-one -on -one discipleship and with who? The people that are currently doing one-on-one -on -one discipleship aren't ready for it. Sometimes you can tell who they disciple with. Yes. You're, you're never ready. Which is why you have to trust that the people that you're submitting to, that you're humbling yourself before, are going to help you navigate that process. You're never ready. Now, some people get more humble and willing to go through that process than other people, and some people get there quicker. If you got some timestamp on this thing, <laughs> good luck. You got the Lord in a bottle. He got him in your cute little box, and hopefully he pops out when you want him to. It, it doesn't work that way. <clears throat> so when do you know that you're ready for one-on-one? -on -one? I would say there's a lot of fruits in your life that determine whether you're actually submitted and humble to the already leaders that are in your life. I, me personally, I'm not going to put someone, I'm not going to connect two people together in discipleship knowing that it's going to be eternal. Those of you that are in one-on-one -on -one discipleship, you know that I initiated that process and had meetings with you guys. And I said, hey, you better make sure that you know that Jesus said to do this because this is eternal. And when you get mad at the person discipling you and you're going to quit because Steve was mean to me, you need to remember, Steve ain't the one that told you to get discipled. It was Jesus. And so if you're quitting Steve, you're quitting Jesus. And, and I know that sounds super legalistic and people are going to take that and cut it apart and, and make me into a jerk. But the point is, it's the same thing that you've heard me say about the church. If Jesus didn't tell you to come to this church, why are you here? Now, if you don't know what church Jesus has told you to go to, hang out here. This is a great place to hang out until you know. But... The, some of the people in here, like quitting's not an option because the Lord told you to come here. You know, those people are the ones that are going into the stratosphere in their spirituality because it's not an option about them quitting. The reason, one of the reasons that our relationship, our marriage is better than any marriage on the planet is because there's no, there's no quitting. We're going to get better. We're going to go. We're going to work through whatever the problems are. We're going to love each other no matter what circumstances go. I don't care what that world does. She belongs to me and I belong to her. It's literally tattooed on our bodies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And so we're going to get better because there is no op there's no second choice. If divorce is an option, then divorce is an option. If there was no such word as divorce, there would be no such word as divorce. And so being ready for the one-on-one -on -one part is there's going to be a lot of fruit that says whether you're actually going to sit in front of someone and they're going to tell you that you're a jerk and terrible and you're going to be okay with it. Because a lot of people think that discipleship is just you sitting with my mom and she tells you how much she loves you. <laughs> That's why... 90% of the women in this room that have asked me about discipleship say, I think that the Lord's telling me to disciple with your mother. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> you know how many times somebody's walked up to me and said, I think Jesus is telling me to disciple with you. <laughs> no, I'm like, you should pray about who the Lord wants you to disciple. I prayed about it and it's Sharon. Yeah, because you want someone to, never mind. My mom is soft. And so people want that stuff, but discipleship is hard. Look at the way the Lord talked to his disciples. Hey, go in the other town and make the place ready. 
Well, you could say, please, Lord. No, there's no please. You're a disciple. Do it. Do what you need to do. And then after three and a half years of being really, really powerfully discipled, I'm going to hand the whole kingdom over to you and you're going to do a great job. Amen. Uh, so with whom, those of you that are in one-on-one -on -one discipleship, you know that when you've come up to me and you said, I think I should be discipled um, and I really think that I'm ready. And I say, I'll either say, I concur, you're probably ready, or I'll say, mm, we'll talk about it. Come see me in a little while. If, you're, if, I, if I feel the tingles that you're ready, then I'll say, okay, who? And some of you in the room, you know that this has happened. And then you'll say, oh, well, I believe it's Sharon, because that's what everybody says. It's your mom. Okay, well, let's pray about it. You pray about it. I'll pray about it. And we'll let God tell us separately. And then we'll come back together at some point and we'll talk about it. And so then I've had that happen. And then a couple of weeks later, we'll say, okay, well, I've been praying about it. Well, I've been praying about it too. Who do you got? Well, I got so-and-so. That ain't what I got. And they're looking at me like I'm the one that missed it. I don't ever miss it, just so you know. And I said, well, we're just not in unity. We both got to know that this is God. Because like I said, when it gets rough, because it will, if it ain't God, you're gone. And I'm not going to put one of the leaders in our church in a situation where someone's going to thrash their heart because they don't like how the discipleship's going. So I got to know that I know that it's God. They got to know that it, they know that it's God. And the one doing the discipleship's got to know that they know that it's God. Because it's going to get rough all the way around. The discipler gets stuff from the disciplee just as much as the disciplee gets stuff from the discipler. It's a, it goes back and forth. And so we pray. And then eventually, at 100% of the situations in this room, and in, in my life doing this stuff, 100% of the time, eventually we pray separately and come together. What do you got? Well, what do you got? And then it ends up being, we both have this person. And I'm like, yep, good to go. Let's do it. We'll set up a meeting. We'll get it initiated. And then I'm out. Once it's set up and that person, I, in fact, I even forgot in this room who's even doing it all. Because once I've set it up, I'm, I'm out. I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is leading all that. And so... Uh, there's a, and there's a lot to it. I honestly would say that probably the people in this room that are doing one-on-one -on -one discipleship, I'll guarantee you that their spiritual life is probably far beyond where it was before that. I can say that for sure. And it's probably beyond what a person in the room that's not personally discipling. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. If you ain't personally discipled, this ain't, I'm not trying to make a a commercial for personal discipleship. I'm just telling you that those are the people that are probably experiencing some really good stuff. Okay, now I want to add something. All right. I made her just, talk. Just quick. Uh, that how important it is um, to trust uh, the leadership or the elders of this body. Because God has given us, them, the responsibility of seeking God's heart for you, for your life, for your destiny. And he's going to show us things that are going to be beneficial to you. 
And so when you hear from leadership sometimes, uh, maybe not right now, or mm, I don't think that's the person. I hope everyone in this room is a, in a place of humility with our leadership that you know that our, our no is for a reason or our not right now is for a reason. That God has placed on us um, the responsibility of leading you in a way that um, we're t we take you to places when you're ready for those places. Because if you're not ready for discipleship, it's, it's going to be rough. And it's not going to be good for the disciple either, the discipler. And so there, there is a, a level of trust that, that we need to be at with the leadership that we have in our lives that God has put them there for a reason and that there needs to be a level of trust in them and when they're counseling you for the direction and the things in your life that you need to do or not do. I'll, I'll give you a, a clue too. Um, I know that if someone in here wants to disciple and they don't honor or value me or the words that I preach or talk about or my position in leadership, there's, got, there's no way they're going to honor the person in disciple. And it's the other thing too. I'm not going to have a discipler that thinks that they're, they're the bee's knees and they're arrogant and proud and they think they got it all figured out and they don't need to necessarily understand our culture or bring people into that. That's devastating. And I, I, I try not to do that. It happens sometimes people's hearts get jacked up and they want to build their own kingdom. It happens all the time. But I can tell you that one of the things that I'm aware of when someone comes to me to discipleship is what is their opinion of me? And I'm not turning this into a selfish thing, but I'm just saying, if they don't honor me as a place of leadership in their life, why in the world would they honor the person that's going to disciple them? Amen. You follow that? Another thing I look at is the other relationships in their life. The marriages, if they can't honor their spouses, if they can't raise uh, their kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, if they can't do some of those other simple things, discipleship is hard. Discipleship is like graduate level. And if you, so if you can't do third grade, which is love your spouse, love your kids, honor your church, if you can't do third grade, you can't do graduate level. Follow me? All right. Please rise. I'm going to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.